Now we can be uncertain about many things in this life, but the purpose of this letter is not one of them. We don't know if there will be war between North Korea and America. We don't know who will win the next election, and we don't know when we will die. But at least we know why the apostle wrote this letter. So amongst all the uncertainty of this life, we have certainty regarding the purpose of 1 John. And the purpose is to give the Christian certainty. We might not know when we will die, but because of Scripture, and 1 John in particular, we know what happens when we die. When the apostle started this final chapter, he assured his readers that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. This is chapter 5, verse 1. And the whole letter was written so that those who have been born of God may know that they have eternal life. You see, the Lord doesn't want His children to fear death. He doesn't want them to wonder what happens after we die. His will is for us to be certain that God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son so that whoever believes in Him will not die but have eternal life. He wants us to be able to look past this life to the glory that awaits everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. But it is not simply to believe, but rather to believe in the name of the Son of God. In other words, to put your faith in Him, to trust in Him for eternal life, and to say that salvation is found in Him alone. So the apostle writes in verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. He writes to those who are saved from hell, to those who are saved from the wrath of God, by God's grace alone, through faith in Christ alone. He's writing to them. He wrote this letter to Christians. And he is assuring Christians of their salvation. And the marks of a Christian, as we have learned throughout this letter, the evidence that you believe in the name of the Son of God is first of all that you believe the apostles' testimony. Also, if you're a Christian, you will show your love for God and for God's people in your care for others, your devotion to Him, and your love will be seen in a life characterized by obedience to the commandments. So really, what all this means is that the evidence of your justification Adoption and regeneration is seen in your sanctification. So just to sum that up, if you are born again, if you're a Christian, then you will grow in love and holiness. And the apostle is writing these things to those who are growing in holiness. They are not perfect, but they are growing in Christ-likeness because they believe in the name of the Son of God. And why did he write the rest of verse 13? So that you may know that you have eternal life. And this, well, this is my first point. Now, last week, our minister looked at verses 6 to 12, and we saw the apostle again stressing his testimony that Jesus is the Son of God. And verse 13 is really the concluding statement of those verses. 
And chapter 5 is really the conclusion of the whole letter. And structurally speaking, the conclusion concludes with this grand statement in verse 13. And in verse 13, I want you to notice the emphasis on the personal pronoun. I am writing to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. In English, we use the, the second person plural. Uh, or in English, we use the word you to refer to one or to many. But in the Greek, there is a special form for the second person plural. And the apostle emphasizes this plural you. So he is writing to all of you, all those who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that all of you may know that all of you have eternal life. Just by the way, in New Zealand, in Kiwi slang, we actually do have a plural for you. It's called yous. Have you heard people say yous, guys? I don't know if it's accepted. I'm an immigrant, but there we go. All of yous can <laughs> have eternal life. And if I were to translate it, I'd probably translate it in that way because it really captures the word. Anyway, that's, that's why he wrote this letter. This is the main statement of this letter. It is the whole letter in a verse. Everything he has said, his whole argument summed up in one statement. All believers, all true Christians have eternal life. Why does he make this statement? Well, because he heard Jesus say that whoever believes in him will not die but have eternal life. And he saw this very statement verified in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. He was the firstborn. So the final grand statement that sums up this whole letter is really that you guys who placed your faith in the Son of God and show evidence of your faith through belief, love, and obedience may be certain that all of you will not die but have eternal life. I can stop there. <laughs> and really, if, if we look at the structure of the letter, we should. But there's still seven more verses. But why then the seven more verses? Why verses 14 to 21? Well, he wants to show the implications of this certainty. What flows out of it? He's literally saying that, oh, and, and by the way, by the way, like a P.S., with this certainty of salvation, there are several things that you may also know. And in verses 14 and 15 of chapter 5, he gives us the first thing all Christians may know. You may know that you can pray with confidence because he hears our prayers. He writes in verse 14 that, and this is the confidence that we have towards him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. That's verse 14. He's again not saying something, anything new here. In chapter 3, verse 21 to 22, the apostle writes that, Beloved, if your hearts does not condemn you, in other words, if we have certainty of our salvation, we have confidence before God, and whoever and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And where does he get that from? This notion that the children of God can pray with such confidence. Well, again, from the Lord Jesus. Look at John chapter 15, verse 7. 
Here the apostle is quoting the words of Jesus when Jesus said, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Again, Jesus says elsewhere, right after he taught the disciples to pray, that ask and it shall be given to you, for everyone who asks receives. This is Luke 11. So the apostle writes a whole letter to assure us of salvation. Why? Well, partly because he wants us to pray with confidence. And why can all of us who have assurance of salvation pray with confidence? Oh, okay, nobody's going to answer. Okay. <laughs> because Jesus said so. Jesus said we could. Jesus told us we can. It is one of the privileges of being a Christian that whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. That's the words of the Lord Jesus in Matthew 21, verse 22. So the point is that as Christians, those who have faith, because Christians are those who have faith, right? Those who believe in the Son of God. As Christians, we confidently come before God. Jesus says, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. Jesus said, and we come before God as our Father, as children. We come before Him with our prayers, with the full knowledge and the absolute confidence that He will hear us and why is that because our prayers are pleasing to God our prayers are pleasing to God he enjoys hearing our prayers in in the temple the burning of incense symbolized the the prayers of the people and in the book of Revelation the apostle John saw the angels carry bowls of incense to the Lord to the throne and he says that these are the prayers of the people our prayers are sweet to the Lord. He is glad to hear them. And because our prayers are a fragrant, pleasing offering to the Lord, we may know that He delights in hearing them. Now to hear means to listen and to respond. Children would often use the excuse that they didn't hear you and thus they didn't do what you asked them to do. You can stand right next to them, right? You can say, go and brush your teeth. <laughs> They'll just carry on what they're doing, oblivious. Has anybody had that experience? And then they look up after a while and they're, oh, sorry, I didn't hear you. What? I'm standing right next to you. How did you not hear me? <laughs> go and brush your teeth. <laughs> I, heard that, I heard that this phenomenon goes on into the teenage years. Is that right? Oh, Lord. Okay. Anyway, the, the word here in our text refers to listening and responding or answering. So God will respond to our prayers. And how will we respond? How will He respond? According to His will. The qualification in our text is if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. So everything we pray for has a conditional clause attached to it. We will get what we ask for if the Lord wills it. And is this not exactly how the Lord Jesus taught us how to pray? Are we not to pray, thy will be done? You see, what the apostle is saying here is not that we get what we want when we want it, but rather 
that God will respond to our prayers according to His will. And as Christians, we pray, let your will be done. That's our prayer. Why? Because we know that God's will is good and proper and right. His ways are higher than our ways. His will is for the good of those who love Him. Let the Lord Jesus not say that if then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts? To those who ask of him. That's Matthew 7.11. So as Christians, we can pray with confidence because we know that God will hear us. He will answer our prayers. Why? Because the Christian wants to pray in, with, in accordance with the will of God. We want God's will to be done. And why do we want this? Because we trust our Father's will. We know that our Father will only give us good things. And since we cannot always discern what is good, as, or as Paul writes, we do not know what to pray for as we ought, we say, here is my petition, but my primary desire is that your will be done. But the objection that might spring up from this is that God is then, in that case, is pity and cruel. Why would he want my child to remain sick? Why would he want my wife to die of cancer? Why would he want me to not own a house or a car? Why would he want me to lose my job or fail my exam? People might, might ask, why would God want you to suffer in this life? God promises good gifts for those who love him and suffering is not a good gift, is it? So some would teach, and there are very prominent teachers that says that good gifts are things like prosperity and success and good health. They would teach that God wants you to be healthy, rich, and popular in this life. And if you pray for these things in faith, then God will give them to you because He will give you what you ask for. If you ask for bread, would He give you a scorpion or a snake? So they say... Ask for a better job, a bigger car. Ask for health, wealth, and prosperity because, they say, you do not have these things because you did not ask with enough faith. But Scripture doesn't teach that. Scripture teaches to let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's Philippians 4, 6. In other words, ask and then rest in the assurance that the Lord will respond to your prayers according to his good will. And that is the primary petition of a Christian. Let thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And John wants his readers to know that God will act according to his will as a response to our prayer that is primarily a petition for him to act according to his will. And thus the apostle writes, If we know that he hears us, in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. This is verse 15. In other words, we have received what we asked for. So we know that because he hears us, he will act in accordance with his will to answer our prayers. We are not promised everything we want, when, what we want. 
but we are promised that the Lord will hear and respond to our prayers according to His will. But that might seem like a cop-out. Especially because the apostle uses the terms here, whatever we ask and requests, as in, in the plural. So to simply say that the Lord answers our prayers in some general way is wrong. We do not simply say, Dear God, let your will be done. Amen. No. We ask for specific things. The Lord told us to ask for our daily bread, for forgiveness of our sins, that we not be led into temptation. Paul tells us to make our requests known to God. In other words, pray, beseech, petition. Pray without ceasing. The Lord said, knock and the door shall be opened. Seek and you shall find. Ask and it shall be given to you. Christians can bring their prayers to God. We come with confidence knowing that God will hear us in whatever we ask. The point the apostle is making is that the Christian will pray according to the will of God because the Christian's desire is for the will of God to be done. And you can test this. What do you pray for? When your marriage is struggling, what do you pray for? What do you pray for when you're suffering or in pain? What do you pray for if you're anxious? Do you not pray that God would preserve your marriage? Do you not pray that God would ease the suffering and the pain? No, it is the Lord's will that no one should perish. So we pray for the non-believer. We pray for those loved ones who are not following the world, the, the Lord. And the thing is, even if we do not pray as we ought, Paul tells us that the Spirit intercedes for the saints, that's us, according to the will of God. A Christian prays according to the will of God because his desire is for the will of God to be done. But in saying that, we can be so nearsighted in our requests, right? So focused on this world and its troubles, so concerned with our present sufferings that we sometimes forget that the first petition in the Lord's Prayer is thy kingdom come. It comes before thy will be done so that we are reminded that eternity should be at the forefront of our minds whenever we pray. So bring your requests, but bring them in light of the glory that awaits you guys. Paul tells us that our present sufferings are not even worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. But you might say, hang on, you don't know what I'm going through. Easy for you to say standing up there. You're not suffering as I am. You know what you're right. I'm not. I'm not going through what some of you are going through. But I know someone who is. I know someone who has suffered in every way like you. And do you know what he did more than anything? He prayed. Before sunrise, he prayed. During the day, he prayed. He prayed every night, many times throughout the night. He prayed with people and he prayed alone. He prayed for his own and when he was dying on a Roman cross, he prayed for those who crucified him. And knowing that he would experience the full wrath of God in the punishment for sin, he prayed, not my will, but yours be done. 
Can you see what John is driving at in this text? He is concerned in this letter with the certainty of eternal life. He is concerned with the big picture. His focus is salvation. And he is considering prayer in light of that. So in verse 15, he is really asking the question, how do we know that God answers our prayers? Or how can we be sure that God hears us when we ask things of him? And the answer is because, beloved, you have eternal life. You've been given it. Follow the apostle's reasoning here. He writes in verse 15 that if we know that he hears us, in other words, if we are certain of our salvation, then we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. John is here saying that we have completed action. It's been done. We have been given what we asked of him. But I didn't win the lotto. My husband did leave me. My cancer is still there. How can you say that God has given me what I asked for? Well, because Jesus said, just before he taught the disciples how to pray, that the Father knows what you need before you ask him. And because of that, he went on to say that, therefore, do not be anxious about what you will wear or what you will eat or what you will drink, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Matthew 6. So it is clear that God knows what we need. Thus, we should not be anxious, but rather seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. In other words, seek salvation. Seek right standing before God. Seek forgiveness for our sins. Seek reconciliation with God. And that should be our primary concern. Because the other things will be added unto you. They will come. And now the apostle tells us that for Christians... They have come. It has been added unto us because we have been given eternal life. And that's the main point. That's the main thrust. We say, Lord, take this sickness from me. But is that really the groaning of our hearts? Are we not really asking God to take away sickness and death? Are we not really praying, come Lord Jesus and end suffering and pain and war and famine? Are we not actually expressing our longing for the new heavens and the new earth? God knows what we need. And it is not health, wealth, and a life free from suffering. What we need is eternal life. Is salvation not the ultimate goal? Is heaven not the primary request? Has the Lord not heard our cries and responded to them by giving us eternal life? We pray, O oh Lord, take this cup from me. Make the suffering stop. Take the pain away. Bring relief, and rightly so. But all these things have been given to you. All these things and more. Why? Because in heaven there will be no war. In heaven there will be no suffering. In heaven there will be no pain or poverty. There will be no cruelty, no cancer, and no more tears. Has the Lord not given you all things? in that he gave you eternal life. Is heaven not your home? Is eternity not your prize? The Negro slaves, as they suffered on the cotton fields in colonial America, would sing about heaven. They would sing, there's a better day a coming. And swing low, sweet chariot, coming forth to carry me where? Home. 
And when the things of this world brought them to the brink of despair, they would sing, no more crying now. You're going to see the king. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You're going to see the king. May we learn from those Christians who saw the things of earth become strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Beloved, as you make your requests known to God, know that he has heard you and wait patiently for the freedom and the glory that awaits all the children of God. In other words, know that you have the requests that you have asked of him because you have been given eternal life with him by believing in him.